If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. It's Monday, April 24th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Today, we've got a weekend roundup. It's news from over the past three days that's shaping America, folks, and the world. First, Afghanistan is once again becoming the world's staging ground for terror attacks. I've got that assessment from those leaked top-secret documents from the Pentagon. Second, an update on the wheat wars, with Ukraine's wheat and sunflowers facing a very uncertain fate this morning. Third, gang crackdowns in El Salvador and Honduras are leading criminals there to flee and head to countries like ours in the U.S. Oh, boy. Next, an update on Cold War II. That's the battle between the U.S. and China. Although, actually, two White House officials are saying that there is no battle there to be had. I'll give you those details, plus my assessment. Fifth, the mayor of New York City is blasting the White House this morning, saying that the administration has turned its back on that city's illegal migrant crisis. And finally, we end the show with some good news all about the drought out west. And, of course, I've got a quick update on my Friday absence. Uh, Yeah, COVID. And I got to tell you, I wish I had gotten more colds when I was a kid. Yeah, I've got a study that actually shows that the average cold actually helps us to defeat COVID. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Afghanistan has once again become a hotbed of terror planning. That is according to a leaked top secret assessment out of the U.S. Pentagon. And it actually confirms the predictions of national security officials and folks like me who warned that we would probably be seeing this kind of outcome of more terror attacks and planning after the White House withdrew from Afghanistan just shy of two years ago this summer. So here's what we're learning this morning, as reported by The Washington Post. According to a leaked intel assessment, the Islamic State in Afghanistan has at least 15 terror plots in the works. They're mostly focused in Europe and Asia, with targets including churches, embassies, business centers, and sporting events. By the way, the 15 terror plots, that's actually up from nine in December. Well, as you might imagine, the White House is a little bit nervous about this report. They are downplaying this intel assessment, saying, quote, the United States maintains the ability to remove terrorists from the battlefield, even without a permanent troop presence on the ground in Afghanistan, end quote. In other words, there is nothing here to worry about except that the leaked document actually says otherwise. Quote, ISIS has been developing a cost-effective model for operations around the world that relies on resources from outside Afghanistan. That model will likely enable ISIS to overcome obstacles and reduce the timelines for terror plots, which in turn minimizes disruption opportunities. End quote. All right, let me just put that in normal people speak. ISIS is regrouping and has both the means and the will to kill people globally. 
And because we don't have a presence or good networks in Afghanistan, we have fewer chances to stop them. All right. This leaked intel assessment, by the way, matches the congressional testimony of a guy named General Eric Carrilla, who said back in March that the Islamic State has a stronger presence in Afghanistan than it did one year ago. And he said ISIS could be capable of attacks outside the country by this August with, quote, little to no warning, all because the U.S. does not have the full picture, end quote. All right, my friends, those are the facts this morning. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion as a former intel officer. When the White House folks retreated from Afghanistan, what I can tell you with absolute certainty, although I can't get into details, is that we left so quickly and so haphazardly that, well, our networks of Afghan spies just left in absolute tatters. And as the general correctly said, we now don't get the full picture. Now, we can get some information through, let's say, captured emails or phone calls, but having spies on the ground is critical, and that's what we lost, or frankly, those networks were degraded. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that the U.S. should have stayed in Afghanistan for years to come. I think most of us understood now and then that it was long past time to leave, but it was how the White House did it. And now, as this leaked document tells us, that sort of haphazard departure has left the world more vulnerable. And that's why I will absolutely be keeping a very close eye on this growing threat. With that, ladies and gentlemen, let's leave Afghanistan this morning and jet off to the country of Ukraine for our second brief of the morning. Now, to quickly refresh our memories before we dive into this one, last Wednesday, we spoke of the wheat wars Right, that's the struggle to get Ukraine's wheat and other agricultural goods out into the international market. And depending on how or if that happens, it could affect the price of lots of goods, but most especially wheat. And that is a big deal for my farmers, of course, and consumers, too. Well, there are two problems this morning to tell you about, and you might want to grab a map in your, in your mind or on your phone to look at this as we discuss it. So the first problem is that, as you probably recall, the wheat is supposed to go to poor African and Middle Eastern countries, shipped either through the Black Sea to the south of Ukraine or through rail networks to the neighboring countries to the west of Ukraine. But Ukraine's wheat and sunflowers aren't going to these poor countries. Analysis actually show that it's largely getting snapped up by European buyers. And that is very bad if you're, say, a a Polish or Hungarian or Romanian farmer because their European sales are collapsing. In fact, many guys are reporting that they have over 40% or more of last year's wheat and sunflower crops. And these farmers are incredibly angry, all because, well, this Ukrainian wheat and such is staying around in Europe. In fact, these farmers in the eastern part of the countries of Romania and and, uh, Hungary and such, they are so frustrated that their governments are now forcing a shutdown or a slowing of exports from Ukraine out to the rest of the world, right? And that takes us to our update this morning. So later today, the European Commission is meeting to discuss how to just sort through this mess of, well, farmer versus farmer, all right? There's talk of reimbursing Eastern European farmers, maybe buying their old wheat supplies or bringing back the old quota system, the old tariff system that actually existed on Ukraine's goods before the war. Well, as you could probably guess, Kiev is not happy about that solution. They want more and more of their goods to get out into the marketplace, even if that does hurt some of their friends to the West. 
So let's see what comes of that meeting and series of conversations this week. But as of right now, it is just an absolute mess. Meanwhile, we also have another problem to talk about. It's with the southern route where the goods go through the Black Sea. So as you probably recall, right now there's a deal between the Russians and the Ukrainians and the Turkish government to let farm goods go from Ukraine's ports and then transit through the Black Sea. But over the weekend, Reuters News Service reported that the Russian government is telling shipping companies that after this week, no more ships will be allowed to pick up wheat or any other goods at any Ukrainian ports. And that's because Moscow is saying that Kiev is cheating, that all those ag goods are not going to the poor countries like the deal calls for, but rather just those rich European countries. And again, the data show that the Russians are unfortunately right on that view. At any rate, I'll be watching this issue and most especially wheat prices because we saw some pretty serious spikes last summer that drove up grocery bills in part because of this issue. And that is why I will keep you posted. And that takes us to brief number three this morning, pivoting from Ukraine to Central America. So the update here this morning is connected to the brief that I gave you on April 20th. So to refresh our memories, the countries of El Salvador and Honduras are cracking down on gangs, right? 60,000 gang members have been arrested in El Salvador alone in the past year. Well, that is leading gangbangers, if we can call them that, to just flee. Unfortunately, that's also creating then a new set of problems for other countries in the region and all the way up here in the United States, too. So here's what we know, as reported by the media outlet Axios on Friday. Officials in Mexico City last week arrested a senior gang leader who was secretly living in the capital city of Mexico with forged documents, having left El Salvador after the recent crackdown. Right, he's the number two in command of the MS-13 gang, and he is wanted for murder, extortion, and terror-related charges in both El Salvador and the United States. So this guy was arrested just two months after four other MS-13 gang members were arrested by the FBI in Houston, all of whom had fled El Salvador and were hiding on the border. All right, meanwhile, the government of Guatemala is saying that they're seeing an increase of these gang members fleeing into their country, too. The Interior Minister of Guatemala said just a couple of weeks ago that, quote, no question the gang members are running from the crackdowns in El Salvador looking to get to Mexico or Guatemala or perhaps the U.S., it's a fact that we cannot deny, end quote. Well, for what it's worth, the U.S. State Department agrees. They told Axios that they are seeing the exact same thing, too, and fearful of more gangbangers heading north in the coming weeks. So all told, folks, this one deserves our attention as we are about two weeks away from the White House ending its use of a border policy called Title 42. And that means that we face the very real likelihood that we could see Tens of thousands or even a hundred plus thousand illegals rush the border to include these MS-13 gang members. More to come. With that, let's actually take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes. So enjoy the ad-free experience and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning, pivoting away from mostly international news to events happening here in the United States. And we are going to start this one with Cold War II, 
right? That's the fight between China and the U.S. for global supremacy and influence, much like the fight between the Soviet Union and America many years ago. Well, this morning, it appears that the White House isn't so sure we should even be fighting at all with China. In fact, they're almost suggesting that we should be cooperating with Beijing. All right, so here's what we know. Late last week, the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai told audiences in Tokyo that, quote, all members of President Biden's administration have been very clear that it is not the intention to decouple America's economy from China's economy, end quote. So the policy of decoupling, by the way, argues that our differences with Beijing are just too great and frankly too dangerous, such that we should bring our companies back home to America or maybe Mexico and decouple our economic life from theirs. Well, Representative uh, Tai is arguing for the opposite. In fact, she said that regular trade work between the U.S. and China was continuing, and she was, quote, completely open to engaging with my counterparts in Beijing, end quote. Meanwhile, another Biden official named U.S. Treasury Undersecretary Jay Schamberg, he said pretty much the same thing late last week. Quote, we occasionally have issues with different economic policies with China, <clears throat> but we will not in any way be trying to separate these two economies entirely. This is neither practical nor in our interest, end quote. Okay, well, there is at least one American company who actually agrees with these folks. Ford Motor Company announced late last week that it would set up a new manufacturing facility in China and sell the cars that it makes there to you, to American buyers. That model, by the way, in case you're wondering what they're going to try to sell you, it's the Lincoln Nautilus. Although, to be fair, Ford is not alone in doing this, manufacturing cars in China and selling them to you. GM already does the exact same thing with a model from Buick. It's called the Envision Crossover. Right, that car has been made in China since 2016, and Americans have been buying it ever since. So, folks, those are the facts this morning about decoupling and economic cooperation with China. Let me offer you just this very brief analysis. So, on one hand, the U.S. government has said that China is a grave national security threat, listing it in the exact same way that it did al-Qaeda for years. Now, as a part of that, the White House is trying to make the case to countries all around the world that they need to decouple or minimize their trade relationships with China. As just one example, consider computer chips sold by the countries of Japan and the Netherlands. Right Over the past six months, the White House has, well, I, th I think you could fairly say, been putting the screws to these countries to get them to stop or slow the sales of their computer chips to Beijing. And yet, on the other hand, the White House is saying quite the opposite to itself and to you and I. They're saying, actually, we should tether our economies and our economic livelihoods even closer together. It doesn't matter that Beijing is our greatest threat or that they, you know, hack and steal hundreds of billions of dollars worth of trade secrets. And, you know, never mind the possibility that we could have a war with China over Taiwan. No, no, let's just uh, let's just keep doing business with Beijing. And I'll tell you, to me, it is just remarkable to watch that flip-flopping when, frankly, we should be consistent and relentless in decoupling our economies. We should be laser-focused on re-energizing our manufacturing base and encouraging others to do the same. But we're not. We're not consistently doing that at all. 
We've got a, a White House full of, frankly, contradictions and hypocrisy. And by the way, it's not just this White House. Republicans have done it in the past, too. But regardless, it's just bad news. And I suspect, folks, that we are going to pay dearly for this sort of hypocrisy and flip-flopping. Because I suspect that things, sooner rather than later, are going to go from bad to worse with Beijing. Next up, let's get out of Washington, D.C., please, this morning. And let's head to New York City for an update on the immigration crisis. All right, so to refresh our memories, I briefed you on April 13th about how bad the illegal migrant problem is getting in the sanctuary city of New York. The mayor there, Democrat Eric Adams, has said that illegals are costing his city $5 million a day. And a two-year tab, he said, is going to be over $4 billion when it's all said and done. Well, late last week, Mayor Adams again blasted the Biden White House for, quote, turning its back on New York City, end quote. So Newsweek magazine quoted the mayor by saying, this is one of the largest humanitarian crises this city has ever experienced, and it will impact every service that we offer in this city. We are here today telling the White House that, look, we have been extremely patient but this is now in the lap of the president of the United States, end quote. Now, to be fair, Mayor Adams also blasted Republicans for not advancing immigration reform in the House of Representatives, but he levied most of his outrage at Mr. Biden directly and his team. So one last thing here, Mayor Adams isn't alone in his critique of Mr. Biden and his administration for this issue. A new poll out late last week from the media outlet Politico showed that 58% of voters in seven key battleground states disapprove of how Mr. Biden is handling this issue of immigration. That's compared, by the way, to 32% who approve. So those are the facts, my friends, this morning on this issue out of New York City. And I'm just going to give you one very brief analysis or, frankly, opinion. So New York City has embraced itself as being a sanctuary city. That means that they don't cooperate with federal deportation officials and they offer incentives for illegals once they arrive, like free housing and free food and free education. And if I could just borrow a phrase from the old Field of Dreams movie, if you build a town based on free stuff, they will come. And that's not a lecture, folks. That's just a reality check. Just in case anybody's feeling bad for New York City now living with the consequences of their actions. Well, we've had a lot of bad news this morning, haven't we? So how about we end this show with some good news? Let's pivot now to some great news out of the West for our final brief of the morning. So I first shared some good news with you back on April 10th about the droughts in California, Utah, and Arizona. Now, at the time, I shared with you that things are actually getting a lot better. Well, the news is getting even better yet. So for the first time in 17 years, the state of California will give 100% of the water that is requested by the cities and farmers in that state, right? That's according to the Sacramento Bee. So to give you some details here, the California Department of Water Resources announced late last week that its canals and pumps and reservoirs would be able to fully deliver the water requested for the Central Valley, the greater Los Angeles and San Diego areas, plus the San Francisco Bay area too. So all in all, that is 27 million users getting 100% of what they asked for. And that is quite a change from just six months ago when the state said that they could only give 5% of what users were asking for. So thank you to the good Lord for the rain and the snow. We will take that good news.
With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Well, we did not have a show on Friday, did we? Uh, Well, that's because the Beijing virus, COVID, managed to knock me down pretty good. But I'm back, alive and kicking. But as I was feeling pretty miserable, I was actually reflecting on a recent study that actually gives me some hope for our younger generations for when they have to deal with this COVID bug. Because odds are, it's not going to be much of an issue for them, especially as they become adults. So here's what we know. Last month, researchers at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden studied blood samples of children taken before the COVID pandemic. And they exposed that blood to COVID to just see how it responded. Well, what they found was that that stored blood of these kiddos had a very strong ability to kill COVID, even though it had never been exposed to it before. Researchers said that it was almost certainly because these kids had been infected by another type of coronavirus. We might call that the common cold. In other words, there's enough similarity between the other coronaviruses like the cold and the one that was cooked up in China, Uh, which, by the way, I know it's a little sassy when I say that, but let's be honest, the Wuhan lab wasn't, you know, cooking up hamburgers, all right? At any rate, researchers are now looking at how that childhood exposure to colds might linger in the best of ways into adulthood, especially in the ability to fight against COVID. In fact, they're guessing that this probably might help explain why some adults, like me, might get hit harder by COVID than others. Perhaps they had fewer colds when they were kids. Anyway, fascinating stuff. It's something to remember the next time that you or your kids get a cold. There is an upside in the midst of that, well, misery. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.